This is Fox News Talk. Headline Rewind. 1980s. Five seconds to the gold medal. Four to the gold medal. This impossible dream comes true. The jury took less than two hours to reach its verdict. Remarkably fast when you consider they had 33 separate murders to consider. I can't say at this moment what other nations will not go to the Summer Olympics in Moscow. Ours will not go. I aim to try and tap that great American spirit that opened up this completely undeveloped continent from coast to coast and made it a great nation. This individual, uh, Mr. Chapman, came up behind him and called to him Mr. Lennon, and then in a combat stance, he emptied the Charter Arms 38 caliber gun that he had with him and uh, shot John Lennon. News as it happened. News as it happens. This is Fox News Talk. From the Momo Pizzeria and Ristorante Studio, this is the voice of Lincoln. 1400 KLIN and KBBK HD3 Lincoln. Parliament has spoken. I'm Pam Puso, Fox News. The words of opposition leader Jeremy Corbyn as Britain's parliament votes to delay a decision on Brexit, marking a major blow to Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who brokered a deal with the EU. Before voting on the proposal, lawmakers voted on an amendment to postpone a decision. Part of that amendment requires him to go to the uh, EU and say, look, I need a delay until the end of January. Today, Boris Johnson says, nah, not going to do it. So I have a feeling if he sticks to that, it could end up in the courts, just what we need. But earlier in the day, as he was pitching his plan, he said, look, we've been doing this for way too long. It's been a debilitating feud, and it's time to get this thing done and get out of Europe. Fox's Ashley Webster in London. The UK's scheduled departure date is October 31st. Continued fighting in northeast Syria two days after a ceasefire was put in place between Turkey and Kurdish fighters. Turkey's defense ministry claiming it's completely abiding by the truce. Some violence still in at least one border town, some shelling and small arms fire. Each side, the Turkish military as well as Kurdish fighters, blaming the other for violations of that ceasefire. Fox's Steve Harrigan, last week Turkey invaded Syria after President Trump said he planned to withdraw American forces from the country. This policy has been a disaster. The one thing it has done, it's united Democrats and Republicans against the president's policies in Syria. So I expect you'll see some action in the United States Senate. Senate Democrat Ben Cardin, a member of the Foreign Relations Committee on Fox's Cavuto Live. Storm surge and winds are lashing much of Florida's Gulf Coast as Tropical Storm Nestor bears down. The storm's top sustained winds are at 50 miles per hour. Landfall expected along the panhandle in the coming hours. America's listening to Fox News. It's the latest from Fox News Podcasts, The Campaign with Brett Baer. With updates from reporters on the trail and in-studio experts, Brett keeps you informed on the 2020 race. Go to foxnewspodcast.com and download The Campaign with Brett Baer now. I'm Maria Bartiromo from Fox Business. My parents lived the American dream. My father cooked in his restaurant. I was the coat check girl. Today, I'm still working the hardest I've ever worked, giving my viewers every tool I can to help them succeed. I'm Stuart Varney from Fox Business. My first investment, traveling the world for about five years and ending up right here in America. Damn good investment, actually. Fox Business. Invested in you. 
The Fox News Rundown is a weekday morning podcast that dives deep into the major and controversial stories of the day. Hosted by the anchors of Fox News Radio. Subscribe now to hear a perspective of news you won't find anywhere else. Listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. More testimony expected next week as part of the impeachment probe spearheaded by House Democrats. Fox's Jared Halpern has more from Capitol Hill. The vast majority of Republican lawmakers here have rejected the impeachment inquiry. This president did nothing wrong in the conversation or others, and here there is no reason for impeachment. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, but Florida Republican Francis Rooney says he was shocked to hear an admission from the White House Chief of Staff that Ukrainian aid was tied to a Justice Department investigation. I just want to call him as I see him. I want to get the facts and do the right thing. Rooney, who has not decided whether he's running for re-election next year, says he's open to all points of view, but warns there's a lot of of water still to flow down under the bridge. On Capitol Hill, Jared Halpern, Fox News. There's no telling how long a strike by Chicago school teachers will last. Workers are demanding more resources and smaller class sizes, but Mayor Morley, Lori Lightfoot says the money just isn't there. School buildings remain open as churches and nonprofit groups try to step in. Up or down? That's the decision for tens of thousands of striking General Motors workers. They're expected to vote today on a deal aimed at ending a walkout that's gone on for more than a month. I talked to a lot of people out here on the picket line, and and I think they're all willing to support this new contract. It didn't meet any of our needs. The tentative deal includes better wages and longer-term job security for temporary GM workers, but it does not abandon plans to close three plants. One week after a deadly partial building collapse, workers in New Orleans are hoping to take down a pair of heavily damaged construction cranes in a controlled explosion. People who live and work in the area right along the French Quarter are preparing to evacuate for several hours. Cam Puso, Fox News. KLIN weather brought to you by John Henry's Plumbing. This is your Saturday morning source for everything Huskers. And now keeping himself with Martinez 5. He is going to be in touchdown. Adrian Martinez off the right edge. Runs in from 15 yards out. Tie of the game. This is the KLIN Husker Hour. Giving you an inside look at everything going on in Husker Nation. Nebraska wins its fifth national championship. Three sets one over the Florida Gators. Now shoots the three. Got it. Isaiah Roby nails it from three-point land. And a good time was had by all. Good Saturday morning and welcome to another edition of the KLIN Husker Hour. On a bi-week Saturday, hope you've got a, a long list of stuff to get accomplished. Maybe one last mow for the season, break some leaves, clean out the garage. I know Jack Mitchell's very excited about his garage cleaning duties this weekend. Um, no football for Nebraska, uh, and a little bit of rest, a little bit of time away, and uh, apparently that's a good thing. Uh, we'll, we'll dig into uh, uh, we'll dig into quite a bit. There's plenty to talk about here on uh, on this bye week. Um, you can enjoy some non-Nebraska football, uh, and uh, then we'll get back to Nebraska again next week. Um, let's get right into it. Uh, pleased to be joined this morning in studio 
by Channel 8 sports guy, Matt Reynoldson. Matt, what's going on this morning? Cole, good to be here. You know, if I had a yard that I mow, and we have a homeowners association thing, so I don't have to mow, but ah. I do like mowing. It's a little bit of a mental release, but I have a wedding today, so that's how I'm spending my bye week. There you go, wedding. Yeah, they, they scheduled well. They did, yes. they did. I, I really have no patience for those fans that schedule <laughs> over home games especially, but... You know, the hotel prices are too much. It's just a bad idea in general to try and schedule a wedding over a home game. Yeah, it's it's uh, those those topic that 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 topic of discussion can get pretty heated quick too sometimes. <laughs> yes, it can. Um, so yeah, that's that's great. Weddings are good, especially on bye weeks. Um, if you can avoid football Saturdays, I think that's uh, that's good for all involved. Um, also good for all involved is uh, uh, apparently getting away from each other. We 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 have this bye week. Nebraska coming off of the 34 to 7 loss to Minnesota and Matt I I what struck me not as much as some of the stuff on the field but every everybody after the game is just like yeah man it's a bye week and I think it's going to be good to get away from everybody I think I think it's going to be good to just you know kick back and not have to do deal with any football stuff not deal with any of my te- you know didn't they're not talking about getting away from teammates in particular but I don't know like is that a good thing or a bad thing that everybody was so excited for that? Well, Cole, does this staff even know how to do a bye week? It's been so yeah, long since they've even 2016. had one. Yeah, since 2016 since this staff has had a bye week together. If you remember correctly, that's their first year at UCF. The year after it, their their bye week got knocked out by a hurricane early on in the season in September. And then last week, obviously, the Akron debacle, taking out Nebraska's bye week and slotting in Bethune-Cookman there. So mm-hmm. this staff, for the first time in three years, has really a chance to reset, reload, get some guys healthy, um, take a little bit of a look at in-season recruiting. I think it's good for everybody to kind of step back and reset because – the stove is a little hot right now. You know, you look at everything that happened with that Minnesota loss, and things did not look good. Taking the hand off the stove for a little bit can't be a bad thing in this scenario. Yeah. And that Minnesota game, I mean, the this has been dissected from, from here to there all week, obviously, but, man, it just it, it just sticks with you that Minnesota, maybe they are more talented. Maybe it's even. I'm not sure where the talent is. I don't think Minnesota's overly more talented than Nebraska. Not like the Ohio State game was, where it was just an overmatching uh, in terms of talent. But the way that Minnesota was running the ball, getting extra yards, pushing piles, Nebraska's not getting any extra yards uh, when they have the football. It just it just looked to me, and it looked to a lot of people, just like an effort deal. Like Minnesota wanted it more on on both sides of the ball on every single play it was it was pretty stunning to watch sure i think part of it is an effort deal i don't think you can discount that but i think a bigger part of it or at least in my eyes cuz i i tend to take a little more of a um uh scrutiny type look at the coaches and what they're doing yeah. uh, i think continually this year in nebraska's poor performances they've tried to out scheme themselves and that's what the huskers did on defense in this game really trying to in that first half limit those star receivers for minnesota uh not let them throw the ball down the field obviously on that first drive they had some success throwing the football and uh later in the first half as well but then the huskers shifted toward stopping the run in the second half because they were absolutely gashed on the ground in the first half for over 150 yards, and that's when the pass game opened up. So the Huskers continually out-scheming themselves on the defensive side of the football, and especially the mismanagement of the position like safeties, inside linebackers, it just a very tough situation 
for those defenders and not fitting into their run fits, like Scott Frost said um, on Tuesday in his press conference after the uh, Ireland football game announcement, and then as well in his uh, Husker Coaches show on Sports Nightly, that a lot of it was just them not getting into their run fits. They weren't necessarily pushed around on defense as much as not getting into stretch plays and not stopping uh, the runs within their gaps. Yeah, some of it was missed tackles, and Nebraska fans very clearly see when it's missed tackles and missed opportunities, but a lot of it is just the mental side of things. And Nebraska, mentally, I think more than anything, got pushed around in that Minnesota game. Yeah, and this is actually uh, that, that cut that you're thinking of uh, from Tuesday's press conference. This is Scott Frost on that topic. Yeah, I had the impression watching the game from the sideline that we got pushed around up front on both sides. Um, I don't think that happened. Um, you know, Particularly, I thought our D-line held up pretty well. They got reached on a few wide zones, stretches, uh, and shouldn't have. Uh, but the majority of the big runs and busted runs were guys from the second level or third level not fitting in the gaps or being late to gaps and, and creating those things. And, and that's just detail, um, telling the guys if the team expects you to be somewhere, you need to be there. So I can I kind of see where he's coming from on some of this. I mean, it wasn't all just getting blown up off the ball. But there was definitely some of that. And and schematically, there are fixes. I mean, you hope that they can, you know, fix some of those schemes if, if Minnesota's getting, you know, they were over 10 yards a carry for a time in the first half. Um, it's it's just discouraging to see that it didn't, it didn't end up really getting resolved in that game. Like, you came out in the second half, and the same thing happened even to a worse degree with three Minnesota touchdowns in the third quarter alone. So, you know, to your point... They they did get pushed around, but they are hopefully able to scheme some of that and fix some of that, just the way they were shading the offensive linemen and then filling behind. I mean, the linebackers had a rough night, I think, just missing missing those holes of, of where the running backs were going to be coming through, overrunning some of them on some of those cutbacks as well. Well, Cole, we were talking about this off the air, that Nebraska's offense has been anemic. They've scored three touchdowns total in their last three games. And I think at some point we let up this discussion talking about the effort or maybe the lack thereof, especially on the defensive side of the ball. At what point does a 14-point deficit look insurmountable? Because that 14-0 deficit looked uh, pretty dark at halftime. And, and the defense, um, they probably tried to do their best in the second half, but as soon as that 45-yard pass play happened, the first play of Minnesota's yeah. first drive of the second half, that's demoralizing, and especially knowing your offense is not going to go down and score because the offensive line isn't getting a push, because the receivers can't get open, because nothing is really clicking for the offense, and that wasn't because of the, a the absence of Adrian Martinez, although that probably had to do part of it mm -hmm. because of his ability to improvise and his just ability to be a great quarterback and excel at the things that not a lot of other quarterbacks excel at. But it was the entire offense and every cog in the system not being able to move the ball at all against a pretty average Minnesota defense. That's demoralizing for Nebraska's defense and knowing that their offense isn't going to go out there and drive the field. Yeah, and, and Wandale Robinson having left the game earlier yes. was, was a problem. Uh, J.D. Spielman was dealing with injury coming into the game. He did play, caught three passes for 59 yards, but might not have been 100%. We don't really know. Um, the status of injuries too often, but th those offensive injuries certainly played a role. Uh, and, and to your point, I mean, Minnesota dominated Nebraska from start to finish, but that was not 
what we were expecting because they hadn't done that really all season. I mean, defensively, they were all right. They only have, they only average giving up 113 rushing yards per game. Um, they're 28th in total defense at 314 per game. Um, the running offense, I think, was the most concerning part. Yes. Um, and the defense for Nebraska has had a pretty, they've had a pretty good season. You know, really the Ohio State game was an outlier, but other than that, they only had a few quarters of bad defense. You think of the fourth quarter of the Colorado game, um, some of those drives, uh, to start the halves against Illinois, um, but the other touchdowns that Illinois got were, were pretty short fields. The defense had played pretty well, and Minnesota, again, their schedule, South Dakota State, Fresno State, Georgia Southern, Purdue, and Illinois, uh, rushing offense, they only averaged 159 yards per game. And then they go for over 320 against Nebraska. Um, you know, whether it's just not being in the right run fit, uh, or whether it's effort, um, gosh, that, that was, that was the, the, the really stunning part of that game. And, um, you know, defensively, maybe it's going to take a little bit of a shakeup. Um, you saw a, a personal foul penalty on Khalil Davis and Scott Frost, none too happy with him on the sideline. I don't think he came back into the game after that. Mm-hmm. He had just been suspended for the Northwestern game after an incident against Ohio State. Um, so maybe you see more Ben Stilley. Uh, maybe he's, he, he's also talked about getting some guys who, who have those four games or, or fewer red shirts left. You might see Casey Rogers, Ty Robinson be, be able to get in some on the offense, on the defensive line. Um, Jakeem Green might get a few more snaps. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's personnel, uh, but something needs to get tweaked on that defensive front, the front seven, especially after a game like that. Sure, I'm with you on that, and I'm, I'm with you a little bit on it. Maybe not being the personnel. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the defensive line has been a huge issue this this year. I think they have been a generally good group, but with that three down front, they've got to play stretch plays better. Mm-hmm. Yes, but with that three down front, they're they're mostly stop gaps to get linebackers into that A and B gap, hit their run fits, get the safeties down into their run fits, and they simply didn't. This is where I put the this is where I pin this on the coaches and their tendency it's a young staff. Now, it's a young staff. There's not a true veteran on this staff, maybe with the exception of uh, like a Sean Becton or a Mario Verdusco. Not a true mm-hmm. veteran on this staff that's been around the game for uh, a long enough time to say, Scott, we're out scheming ourselves at this point. And they do that offensively and defensively continually. You saw it almost yeah. bite them against Northwestern, them scheming themselves so hard not to turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. It worked. They won the game. They didn't turn the ball over, but... It was almost disastrous defensively in this game. Uh, they were scheming themselves to stop two receivers on the field, two or three receivers on the field. When you have two pretty good island corners as it is, they're not going to get beat over the top a lot of the time because they are two upperclassmen and two very good cover corners. Mm-hmm. So if you don't worry about that so much, then you play a normal game, don't get gassed for 150, 200 rushing yards in the first half, don't have to completely change your defensive uh, mindset in the second half. And the second half is when they went uh, gangbusters through the air and really opened up that running game. By that point, it was effort. Things started snowballing, and uh, it turned into a complete disaster of a game. But I think a lot of this still goes back to, once again, the staff out-scheming itself a little bit and not having the the self-awareness to say, this is happening in game. Yeah, and and you you've heard Scott Frost talk at times this season about outscheming themselves offensively as well, trying to come up with the big play when it may not be there when you might not have the guys on the field to be able to run that and make it successful. Um they they've found a few of them here and there mostly with Wandale Robinson lately. 
Uh, but but maybe that is something that they're able to do during this bye week, Matt, and, and, and self-scout themselves a little bit, um, look back at what they've done that has worked, what, what hasn't worked, and, uh, and, and maybe be able to fix something from there. All right, uh, we're going to take our first break here. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about this morning. Um, We'll hit more specifically on the offense and defense as to what we see going forward. Um, what does the road ahead look like in terms of Nebraska's schedule and where are the fifth and sixth wins to at least get bowl eligibility? Uh, and then we'll also touch on uh, the big announcement from uh, from Nebraska, the trip to Ireland. You want to go to that? Are you excited about that? Are you are you wanting to play a game, I don't know, somewhere else? Not I, Yeah, we'll, we'll dig into all that. It's a week zero experience for Nebraska football, uh, which is new as well. Uh, plenty to talk about here this morning. This is the KLIN Husker Hour. Matt Reynoldson in studio with me. I'm Cole Stukenholtz here on 1400 KLIN. Talking with current and former Huskers and those who cover the Big Red. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1400 KLIN. All right, now we're back here on the KLIN Husker Hour. Thanks for joining us on a bi-week Saturday. Going to be enjoying some uh, some non-Nebraska football today at the uh, the wedding reception there, Matt? Well, there's a lot of good non-Nebraska football even here locally. Doan, Concordia, Nebraska-Westland all play at home. So uh, my friend Jared Kohler over at Channel 8 is going to be uh, going out to all that. Husker baseball uh, in yeah. action this afternoon right. uh, for the last time uh, in it. fall ball. Yeah. Will Bolt <laughs> recruiting pretty well. Drew Christo mm-hmm. out of Elkhorn, uh, the number one player in the state for 2021, yep. already under the belt. Huge commitment. He could have gone SCC. Um, Stanford was looking at him. Yep, he yeah. was. He picked Nebraska over uh, Stanford, uh, which is a great baseball program. Consistently a regional host baseball program out there in Palo Alto. But uh, the Oscars pulling him, and uh, that's that's a big get if they can keep him away from the MLB draft, which. Um, I, I've heard from what that family wants to do. They probably want him to go to school, uh-huh. but if Nebraska can keep him away from the MLB draft, that's a really good get. He's yeah. a future probably Friday night starter type guy. Yeah, fun fact, uh, his dad, Monty Christo, uh, former Nebraska backup quarterback, uh, once coached me in youth baseball in Kearney. There you go. Yeah. So you have some of those same good MLB genes, right? No. <laughs> no. That's why I talk about it, Matt. There you go. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the offense. Uh, we wanted to dig into both the offense and defense this morning here. Uh, have a little bit of a break in the schedule. Let's take a breath and, and kind of evaluate where things have been this season and where they might be going. Um, obviously, the status of Adrian Martinez is a big unknown in this. Scott Frost is not talking about injuries. Um, he just says stuff like, yeah, he'll be fine unless he's out for a significant course, right? amount of time like Deontay <laughs> Williams. That's really the only thing that we've gotten out of him. So um, is Adrian Martinez going to be available for the Indiana game? Who knows? You might know better than I do. I don't know. Um, but I, the, I guess it mostly comes down to the, the players around because I feel like Noah Vedrill does have a pretty good handle on this thing. We saw him run the whole game against Minnesota, uh, except for that last drive when Andrew Bunch came in, which – Frost also mentioned that he had a couple quarterbacks banged up. You hope that Vedral might not be out uh, yeah. either, especially if Martinez can't go. Um, but Vedral competently ran the offense. Those first three drives against Minnesota all went in to go for territory. Um, you had a four and out uh, at the end of the first drive. Uh, you had a couple of sacks on the second drive, and then uh, a bad penalty took you uh, backwards on the third one. So um, just kind of shooting themselves in the foot on that deal. But he can run the thing. If you get help from your friends and the offensive line has had some struggles, uh, well-documented, uh, and Trent Hickson got benched there in that second half for Brock Bando. Mm-hmm. Um, you have injuries outside with Wandale Robinson and JD Spielman that those guys have been dealing with. 
Uh, and and running back situations not clear either with Maurice Washington having been suspended for a half against Northwestern. Dedrick Mills is um, sometimes effective, sometimes not. Um, you know, he needs a little bit more help up front from blocking. And uh, we already mentioned Wandale's issues. And Ramir Johnson really hasn't been able to get on the field. Matt, going forward, what do you see offensively from Nebraska and how they're going to be able to contribute to success in these last five games? Well, it's hard to truly evaluate because we're in such a negative frame of mind right now, coming off of uh, a blowout loss to Minnesota, three straight subpar offensive outputs. Uh, We were looking at this offense in a way that said, hey, Nebraska is back on track after Illinois uh, and a great performance where they put up almost 700 yards of offense and climbed out of a 14-point deficit. It was just the turnovers. Three different times. Three different times, yeah. Yeah. And it was just the turnovers that uh, really made that game closer than it should have been. But this offense, the last three games, I think a lot of those issues have started to rear uh, their ugly heads. Noah Vedrill did okay. He did a pretty good job. He did a serviceable job running the Nebraska offense. But I think that performance should, A, um, probably take any of the quarterback controversy conversation out of it, and B, uh, absolve Adrian Martinez of all blame for this offense going forward. Because, yes, there have been, he has not played his best this year, but there are so many more issues with this offense uh, that are reason for concern than what Adrian Martinez is doing with the football. The high snaps were fixed. Huge credit to Beatrice Native Cam Jurgens for getting that fixed. Uh, I saw maybe one or two snaps that were a little lower than usual. One low snap, but uh, no high snaps in the entire game. He Scott Frost said he got some outside help. He really fixed that. He had a great blocking day, unlike pretty much anybody else on the offensive line. A tough day for the Husker pipeline, but uh, Cam Jurgens with uh, making a big jump. But other than that, uh, there have been a lot of moving parts. For a sophomore captain like Adrian Martinez to try and wrap his mind around and still play the quarterback position at the way he wants to play it. Yeah. One thing that I think is very encouraging from the Minnesota game, and it obviously got lost in the rest of the stuff, um, Cade Warner was mm-hmm. able to come back and make an immediate impact. Nebraska's one touchdown drive in that game, Cade Warner came in, caught three passes for 38 yards, uh, his first catches of the season. Uh, and Nebraska was able to get into the end zone on that drive with Noah Vedrill leading them down and Dedrick Mills punching it into the end zone. If Cade Warner is able to stay healthy, I mean, he's not he's not going to give you a lot of explosiveness like J.D. or Wandale, but he can run routes well. Um, he's a good blocker, um, and and the coaches have said he's a coach on the field, as stereotypical as, as we all like to call that out. Um, he, he can get guys lined up. He can make sure that you can avoid those illegal formation-type penalties that Nebraska has caught a few times this season. Um, but, but having him back and having him healthy, hopefully he can stay healthy, um, that, that would give Nebraska a little bit more stability at one of the positions that has been the most unstable this season. And he can help out regardless of who the quarterback is, whether it's Adrian uh, or Noah Vedrill. He can help out in the run game. If Maurice Washington can take it outside, he's going to be able to hold his block better than other some, some of those other guys like Mike Williams or Conovai Noah uh, and maybe get Washington around the edge. And that might be the difference between a seven-yard gain and a touchdown. And the big thing is he runs good routes. But uh, forgive me for being skeptical about this, but I... I Maybe he plays, maybe he doesn't. Um, Troy Walters has shown almost no consistency as far as playing players that can produce. Mm -hmm. Cade Warner last year got on the field really well because the coaches trusted him um, exceptionally. And like you said, coach on the field, guy that does the right things, runs the right routes, uh, and has good hands. He can catch the ball. He can... 
he can get separation from defensive backs because of his sharp route running, because of that that tightness to the way he's able to uh, to get into the second level and get away from those defenders. But he he played in the Ohio State game, and then the last two games he doesn't get into what the fourth quarter against uh, against Minnesota yeah. uh, in complete garbage time at that point. Uh, maybe these three catches, maybe his uh, reemergence onto the scene uh, helps the coaches see that uh, he needs to be on the field more. Mm-hmm. But based on the track record of what we've seen with personnel management in this wide receiver group, wide receiver room that, uh, frankly, has been a disaster this year, uh, it's hard for me to see Cade Warner getting a lot more time. I hope he does. If he does, I think Nebraska's offense will be a lot better for it, but it's hard for me to see him getting a lot more time despite the level of production he showed in the fourth quarter against the Gophers. Yeah, and and Parker Gabriel in the Lincoln Journal Star had a story on Cade uh, earlier this week. Um, he was actually dealing with a stress fracture early in fall camp. That took him out of fall camp in the majority of those first games. Sure. Came into the Ohio State game and got a hamstring injury. Oh, it was a hamstring injury. Okay. Um, so actually two separate deals there. But but the, the big question that I had was why wasn't he in to start the Minnesota game if he was healthy enough to play later. That was the one thing that threw me for that. Uh, so hopefully he can he can stay healthy enough and, and have enough trust from the offensive staff that he's going to be able to, uh, to be effective out there. Um, let's dig into the run game a little bit more. Um, we, we've seen flashes from Diedrich Mills. We've seen flashes from Maurice Washington. Um, once Wandale kind of got established as the offensive weapon that was most consistent, you saw some pretty good plays out of him as well. Um, that shovel pass against Northwestern still gives me tingles watching that thing over. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know what consistency they're going to have um, just because it's been all over the map, um, but... I feel like if you get a little bit more um, consistency up front, it would just help all three of those guys, regardless of who's getting the ball, and Adrian Martinez and Noah Vedrill, for that matter, if they're able to run the ball too. It just, with the offensive line being as, as up and down as they've been, mostly down, frankly, in the, in the run game the last three games, uh, that's where I think it's got to start. You've got to get more out of the guys up front, uh, because if you can't do that, those running lanes are not going to be available inside or outside for the running backs. Well, Colin, you can see the frustration setting in with a guy like Maurice Washington, uh, who doesn't really like to run inside as it is, unless it's uh, one of those direct snap zone runs. Yeah. Uh, but he, the frustration is clearly setting in with him. There's been uh, a couple disciplinary issues that Scott Frost has mentioned about um, violating team rules, being late to a meeting or two here and there. Um, and you can see the frustration really setting in for him on the field because he is a guy that likes to stretch the field to the outside, but with the concepts of this offense, it is inside out, uh, line of scrimmage forward. Mm-hmm. So that inside zone running game, those inside zone running schemes set up the basis for the entire offense. You yeah. need to get four or five yards on first down with that and be in second down and manageable so you can go in tempo and set that offense up for success. Nebraska hasn't gotten that push on the interior this year. I don't know, I don't know what it is about both guards that have really struggled this year. Obviously, uh, Trent Hicks and a, a, a walk-on sophomore from Omaha Scott. I think he has an opportunity to be a really good player, but maybe forced into duty before, uh, before he was ready, uh, maybe physically ready. Uh, and part of that Minnesota game showed that a little bit. Um, and the right guard, Bo Wilson, has shown maybe a little bit of regression in that area as well. But that inside run game push, especially when you have a center making new line calls, 
think of it like a three-legged race. You know, if you're if you're on the left side and there's five people in a three-legged race, mm-hmm. the three-legged race would be t- a ten-legged race. I don't know. I can't count. I'm a journalist. <laughs> but if there's um, five people in a three-legged race and you're on the left side, if the guy on the far right side falls down, that's okay. You can still move it around a little bit. Yeah. But if you are in the middle and the guy directly to your left and the guy directly to your right fall down, you're not moving at all, especially yeah. when those guys are 300-plus pounds. So, yeah. no, obviously their legs aren't tied together, but uh, that offensive line is hurting from, A, some of the inexperience with the line calls probably from the center um, and and not maybe not anchoring that uh, as well as, as consistently uh, as the position could be anchored, as well as just overall uh, maybe less than expected uh, quality of play from both guard positions. Yeah, and we we saw the Brock Bando substitution in for Trent Hickson. Um, it's interesting. Brock Bando on the offensive line uh, on, the, on the depth chart is a uh, listed as a tackle mm-hmm. behind Hymas. You we've we've talked a lot about how Matt Farniok is is kind of playing tackle, but he's more suited to play guard. Sure. I wonder if they may move Farniok inside and have Bando play tackle. Um, I wonder about Bryce Benhard. He's gotten into I think one game this season. Maybe he gets a few more. I think they want to redshirt him. Obviously, uh, the way Frost has talked about using these four games for redshirting, um, but you could still get a couple more out of him, uh, and and you wonder how much you might see of him late in this season with five games to go in the regular season and, and potentially a bowl game as well. Um, but it, like we talked about earlier, if, if Cameron Jurgens has been able to figure it out at center in terms of snapping, um, blocking, making those line calls, uh, maybe you can have some consistency from the middle and that can move out to the edges. Well, and I like the idea with Bando uh, possibly getting out to tackle, but I, I think even more than uh, listed as a tackle because he... From what I have heard from the coaches, from what I've read, from what I've seen with my own eyes, uh, you have players that are swing guards, swing tackles. Yeah. I don't think uh, I don't think Bando is one of those guys. I think he's a left side guy all the way, and probably will be for the rest of his career here. So that means you have to develop those right side guys, and your true right tackle of the future is Bryce Benhart. Now, how do you want to use him uh, in these four games? Obviously, you want to keep the red shirt on. You're far enough into the season. They're not going to be championships won this year, barring a complete miracle. Um, Bryce Benhart is that tackle of the future. He will be redshirting next year. Next year will be his redshirt freshman year. Will he be ready to start? What can you do with these four games to get him ready to start next year? Because the general consensus out of everything is that Matt Barniak is a true guard and a true guard at the next level, and coaches from Mike Cavanaugh to Greg Austin have liked his more natural position being at that right guard spot. Yeah. Will that improve the play at right guard? We don't know. We're assuming so. Uh, and I think the people that are smarter than me about the offensive line and uh, know more things about playing uh, the difference between playing guard and tackle, uh, they're confident about that. So likewise, I'm confident about Matt Farniak being able to succeed at that position. But he is the only one that can play right tackle right now, especially yeah. with Christian Gaylord being out for the year. You don't have a true backup right tackle. Um, Bryce Benhart uh, needs to develop and, and set up there uh, really to give Nebraska a better chance to have a more seasoned offensive line going into 2020. Yeah, and, and one last thing on the offense um, before we hit our break here and talk defense. The, the thing coming out of kickoffs with this offense still baffles me. Um, I don't know how many of you out there have noticed this, but there's been at least 
four or five times where Nebraska receives a kickoff, goes into the end zone, or Nebraska returns it for a few yards, whatever. The offense is huddled up out on the field, and they take so long to figure out what they're doing that by the time they come out, they've gotten delay of game penalties, they've gotten false start penalties, they've had to take timeouts. Um, This past Minnesota game, the second half kickoff, I think it was, uh, that they received, they actually had 12 men on the field and got penalized. Like, that... That's coaching, 100% to me. Like I don't know how they haven't been able to figure that out. Um, it used to be a 40-second clock, and now it's 25. And maybe they just haven't worked that out, and, and they're used to a certain rhythm. Um, but, man, that's inexcusable with having nothing to do before that play, literally nothing else but getting yourselves ready, and they're not prepared for those plays right after kickoffs. It's just amazing to me that's happened so many times this season and still happened in their seventh game. A great observation, and that's partly coaching, partly mental maturity. Uh, you really have to get those things nailed down. Yeah. And a lot of that mental maturity uh, is something Scott Frost laments about this team in year two right now. It's very obvious from his post-game comments uh, from the Minnesota game and even some of his comments in Tuesday's press conference that uh, the menta- the mentality of this operation needs to get in check, whether it be penalties, discipline, turnovers, gap fits, uh, getting ready uh being set, being in the right play, whatever it is, that's not all there yet. And maybe it should be further along than it is right now. But at this point, the indisputable thing is that mental side of things is not fully there yet. Yeah, no doubt. All right, that's Matt Reynoldson. He's a Channel 8 sports guy. I'm Cole Stukenholz here. Uh, And we are going to talk defense next. We've got uh, some Ireland discussion to get to. Maybe we'll hit on that a little bit. And uh, plenty more to come here on a bye week Saturday. This is the KLIN Husker Hour. Thanks for joining us on 1400 KLIN. Your Saturday morning source for everything Huskers is right here. You're listening to the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1400 KLIN. KLIN Husker Hour here on Bi-Week Saturday, 1400 KLIN. I'm Cole Stukenholz. Matt Reynoldson in studio with me the whole hour. Channel 8 sports guy. You see him on your TV all week long, and especially on game day Saturdays. He'll be back in action, uh, just like Nebraska on Saturday against Indiana. That's a 2.30 kickoff uh, right here in Lincoln at Memorial Stadium. Uh, All right, hit on some offense, Matt. Let's talk defense a little bit. Um, Nebraska has struggled in uh, a couple games, giving up up some big run plays, and uh, there were a ton of them against Minnesota. Minnesota was averaging over 10 yards a carry for a majority of that game. They ended up over 320 rushing yards, and that's a team that doesn't usually do something like that. They hadn't done that all season. And you haven't seen that much change in the personnel on the field. Uh, I wonder if that's something that they do, but but just, just evaluating the seven games that we've seen from the black shirts, uh, what, have, what, have, what have your observations been? Well, Cole, I'll tell you this. They haven't been average at any point this season. They've either been really good or really bad. This defense, extremely Jekyll and Hyde-type tendencies. You look at games like Northwestern. When they see opportunity, they see an offense that is not playing very well, they pin their ears back and they go after them, play with a lot of confidence. Uh, The five turnovers in the South Alabama game, the season opener, pinning their ears back, playing with a lot of confidence. Northern Illinois, uh, a lot of spots in the Illinois game, only... 
allowing less than 300 yards uh, total throughout the entire game. A lot of those 38 points were just directly off turnovers, but Nebraska's defense played fairly well in that game. And then you look at the disasters, Ohio State for the entire game, Minnesota for the entire game, Colorado for a couple quarters of that game. It just complete complete collapse on the defensive side of the ball. So very, very hard to pin down where this defense is right now. I think they're taking steps. But one thing that is interesting to me and very concerning to me going forward is – the thing about this defense, and not, maybe it's not necessarily this defense because I personally am a big proponent of the 3-4. I think it gives um, Nebraska a lot of opportunities to get where they want to defensively, uh, especially down the road um, and the way they're recruiting uh, inside linebackers and the types of defensive linemen they're recruiting because I think they've got a great opportunity to develop some elite-level 3-4 defensive linemen here in the coming years. Uh, so I'm a big fan of that scheme-wise. Uh, the big thing that hurts Nebraska is within this defense, and maybe it's every defense, but it's something that I've noticed about this defense is that if you have one guy out of position, the play is probably not going to go well from a defensive standpoint. And Nebraska is very thin at outside linebacker mm-hmm. and will be for the next couple of years. We were talking about it off air. You like the progression of Garrett Nelson, and I see that as a big upside. But what happens when... One or two of those players get dinged up. What happens when uh, a fifth-year senior uh, becomes a non-contributor over the summer of his final season? What happens in those scenarios where you are lacking depth? I like the opposite outside linebacker position. I think Caleb Tanner, JoJo Doman mm-hmm. have played extremely well this year. I think that position is starting to stack up a little bit, but you're really young at the other one. Garrett Nelson, and then who else? Alex Davis. Um, graduates after this year, so that's another body lost. Jamin Graham, you're asking a lot of a true freshman to get ready by his redshirt freshman season. Can David Alston come along? Where are the rest of these players uh, that really need to develop quickly at the outside linebacker position so Nebraska ha- doesn't have those one player in the wrong fit, 75-yard run disaster plays like they did really the entire game against Minnesota? Yeah, linebacker is definitely a, a spot of concern. There's there's four guys on the field at once, and if you don't have them in the right place, like you said, if they're if they're not reading the cutbacks right, like they didn't against Minnesota, um, that's where you get big plays. Uh, up front, I, Darian Daniels has been an improvement. Um, I don't think there's any question about it. They're the, Nebraska's first year in this scheme. You, you had Mick Stoltenberg trying to play three four nose. Yep, wasn't wasn't his position. Uh, they they just kind of had no other options. But Darian Daniels gave them a good option. Dar, uh, Damian Daniels is going to be a I think a solid guy for a couple more years in that spot too. He's just a sophomore, and so I think they've figured that spot out and they've got more guys coming. Uh, and defensive end. There's going to be, like you said with Alex Davis, there's going to be some guys to replace. Uh, the Davis brothers are both seniors. They're going to be gone. Obviously, Darian in the middle, too. Uh, so the, they're, they're going to have to count on DeAndre Thomas and Ben Stilley for a lot more. Uh, young guys like Ty Robinson. Uh, Mosai Newsom has been mentioned here recently as well. Casey Rogers has gotten in a couple of games. Um, defensive line depth, it looks like it's coming along too, but not a lot of experience behind those first, first, uh, the first level guys. I, I, I fig- the way I figure it is if you can get through next, if you can get through the rest of this season and set yourself up for next season, getting those guys some experience here and there, uh, it's going to go a long way. 
because, like you said, if you get one guy out of position, it can kind of blow up the whole play. Um, the front seven really critical with getting some other guys some action, uh, whether it's Garrett Nelson, who does not appear to be redshirting, um, or guys like Ty Robinson, Casey Rogers, that might still be. Well, it goes back to kind of what we were saying in the first segment about uh, out-scheming uh, things, and I think Nebraska has the personnel at spots in this defense. What I think they need to probably do more of is put more trust in one of the best coaches on this staff, and that's Travis Fisher. He has developed some elite-level defensive backs. Cam Taylor-Britt is one of the most versatile defensive backs at Nebraska mm -hmm. since Eric Haig. You have two island-type corners, one that could be a very high NFL draft pick in Lamar Jackson, who has made a spectacular turnaround at Nebraska. Um, great body type. The mentality wasn't there. Uh, Travis Fisher has molded him into what looks like a surefire NFL player. And then DiCaprio Boodle, who consistently has some of the best pro football focus grades yeah. uh, of anybody in the conference, as well as anybody on this team. He's taken a little bit of a dip this year, but uh, last year, uh, really elite level uh, pro football focus numbers. And, and his play backs that up. He has uh, had a strong year again. Then you look at the safety position. Markel Dismuke, um, this year, consistently Nebraska's best graded um uh, defensive back mm -hmm. on pro football focus. He is uh, caught a couple. Uh, I think he's had a couple INTs, if I if I know correctly, one yeah. one or two yeah. uh, interceptions. He's been a very good force on the back end there. Obviously, hurt to lose Deontay Williams, but Cam Taylor Britt is a turnover machine. The guy just makes plays. He is versatile in the back end. You guys, you have different players rotating to nickel, uh, including JoJo Doman, who's still getting coaching from Travis Fisher, as well as being at that outside linebacker spot. So I think if you put more trust in your back end, because I think the back end has earned that level of trust in a way that the linebacking core maybe hasn't, mm -hmm. um, I think they'll be in a lot better spot uh, as far as their defensive run fits and just really not having anything like Minnesota ever happen again. I, I'm going to put it on record right now. That result against a team like Minnesota. I am not sold that Minnesota's very good. Uh, South Dakota State and Georgia Southern would agree with me after nearly beating the Gophers in Minneapolis. I'm not sold Minnesota's very good. Nothing like that, nothing like last Saturday can ever happen again as long as Frost is here in my mind. Yeah, it was it was rough. And and to your point, uh, with, with Markel Dismuke, he's uh, second-leading tackler on the team. Um, Joe or Jojo Doman, he's he's played really well and and is very versatile. You can play him at outside linebacker. He's played nickel corner, um, had experience at safety when he started. And Cam Taylor Britt, uh, he was my defensive MVP um, at the six game mark of this season. Mm -hmm. Four forced fumbles. Nebraska's forced nine so far this season in seven games. Last year they forced nine total yep. in twelve games. Um, so, so that shows you some of the steps that the defense has taken forward. Uh, they, they've been better at creating situations where they can get turnovers. Um, they haven't recovered um, all of those fumbles, but they're, they're at least creating some of those opportunities. Uh, and, and, yeah, the secondary, I agree, Travis Fisher's done a heck of a job turning that group around. Uh, and, and if there's one wish that I have for the rest of the season, other than Nebraska, at least getting to a bowl game, uh, it is getting DiCaprio Boodle that elusive first interception. Yes. I want that for that kid so bad the way he's played uh, throughout his career. Um, we're going to take another break here. Uh, there's a good discussion about the defense. Uh, we'll uh, we'll touch maybe a little bit on uh, special teams as much as we might not want to, uh, and then uh, we're gonna hit on Ireland. We're gonna we're gonna hit on the uh, the trip week zero August 2021. 
where will you be in August 2021? That's that's uh, that's a long ways off, but not not too long. Not as far out as we uh, as we usually see for scheduling announcements. That's all ahead. Thanks for joining us here this morning. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on 1400 KLIN. Giving you an inside look at everything Huskers. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on 1400 KLIN. Welcome back to the KLIN Husker Hour. No Nebraska football today, but they're back in action next Saturday. At home, against Indiana, four wins on the board. You get two more, and Nebraska's back in a bowl game for the first time since 2016. Yes. Yeah, that sounds weird to say <laughs> out loud. Um, look, getting to a bowl game at this point, Matt, would still be a success for this team. It's not maybe where you thought they would end up. It's not where the staff and the players, I'm sure, wanted to be, especially with the way some of these games have gone, the Colorado uh, collapse at the end there and giving that game up in overtime, um, getting blown off the field against Minnesota. Uh, getting getting to six wins would still mean something. It gets you more practices. It, it gives you some momentum going into the next year. Cole, it's absolutely vital. I mean, you said that for the momentum. I agree. The momentum is important uh, because a bowl game can lead to good things. I mean, even look at Mike Riley's team in 2015. They go six and yeah. si- they go six and uh, or five, five and, and seven, seven, and then they go to a bowl game beat. A good UCLA team at the time, and then turn that into a nine and three season the following year. Uh, I think Nebraska could maybe do the same with a little momentum. But the thing is, the Huskers behind the scenes are really trying hard to develop a lot of young players. Yeah, I know from talking to several members of this staff, they are really, really, really excited about what they brought in with this 2019 recruiting class. And a lot of these guys are maybe a little bit underdeveloped coming in. To college, but they were all winners in high school. They were all guys that uh, this staff identified as the right fit for this program, and they're developing throughout their redshirt years this year. Most of them, their redshirt years, those fifteen extra practices where they get opportunities to uh, go against the ones a little bit. They get opportunities to to run it back and um, maybe go on a bowl trip, bond a little bit more as a team, uh, see one tangible sign of progress. Uh, of as a result of a season after two, four, and eight years. I think that is absolutely vital and will pay dividends for Nebraska going forward and how they want to build this program. Especially if you've got some guys that you want a red shirt and still haven't gotten all four games. Yep. If you play them in that bowl game, that gives them a chance to to get a little bit of the bowl environment. Maybe, you know, who knows who the opponent might be in that game, but um, that would that would be good experience for those young guys that they're really trying to develop. Well, Cole, um, if they go if they go six and six or something like that, if they end up in the quick lane bowl, um, <laughs> he, here's my official pitch to the Nebraska football staff. If they go to the quick lane bowl, please make that the red shirt bowl. So Luke yeah. McCaffrey, Ramir <laughs> Johnson, uh, all true Bryce freshman Benhart. offensive linemen, yeah. all true freshman defensive linemen. Throwing the freshman no defensive back out there. Starting it's safety. The, it's the all red shirt bowl. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that'd be incredible as Nebraska's uh red shirting freshman whoop up on a Mac team um up there in Detroit. <laughs> that would be incredibly entertaining if they do the red shirt bowl. Uh I don't think they'll end up in the quick lane bowl. I think they'll be at a better bowl, hopefully, because I, I don't know how much uh people want to travel to Detroit in late December. But 
If it is the Quick Lane Bowl, that is my official pitch, the Red Shirt Bowl. That's how you sell it. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Speaking of extra practices, um, by playing a Week 0 game um, in 2021, Nebraska will get to start early. Uh, they start a week earlier. They'll have an extra bye week. Uh, and traveling to Ireland, that announcement was made on Monday. Uh, nice way to uh, maybe avoid too much discussion about the 34-7 to loss to Minnesota. Well-placed on uh, on a public relations standpoint there. <laughs> uh, and, and Nebraska gets this week zero experience. They get a, a kind of a spotlight game early in the season, um, a chance to do some traveling. And uh, all, by the way, it's a conference game. It's Illinois. Nebraska starts off the next two years with conference games. They open next year with Purdue. Uh, and then in 2021, they'll have that Ireland game with Illinois. Um, Matt, there's, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of hot takes about the Ireland deal. Um, I, look, I'm fine with it. I don't really care. I'm not going to be going to Ireland personally. Um, so I don't know if Channel 8's going to be footing the bill for you, but. I might. I might. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> if regard- not, I might just foot the bill for myself and yeah, there you go. see if they'll pay me a little extra. I don't know. But, but regardless, <laughs> like, it's, it's a, it, it is a chance for Nebraska to have some more spotlight. Um, it, it gives them an extra week of practice throughout that season because they start earlier and they'll have an extra bye week than, than most teams. Um, it's not a bad thing. I don't know that it's necessarily a good thing, but I, you know, I'm fine with it. I'm, I'm very lukewarm on the whole deal. I don't know what you feel about it. I, I would say I'm hot on the deal. Uh, um, I think that opportunity to open a season with, I mean, it's not a powerhouse opponent. It's Illinois. Yeah. Illinois is still going to be fairly much, fairly Illinois, uh, I believe, in a couple of years. And I, I don't think that's going to be maybe a huge turn on their head. So I think it could be, very well be a win for Nebraska to start off 2021. And I think when you look at that 2021 schedule, getting really down into the nuts and bolts of what this matchup does, it gives them a self-scout week, not necessarily a bye week to heal and recover or whatnot. It gives them a self-scout week during week one when everybody else is playing their season openers. And I think for that brutal 2021 schedule, you got to go to Oklahoma, um, and play a lot of tough Big Ten East opponents. I think Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State are all on the schedule that year. I think Nebraska needs that self-scout week early on in the season to see exactly what they have and manage their personnel in that way. Yeah, Illinois, and then you have a bye week one, quote-unquote, and then Buffalo at home, and then, yeah, that third non-conference game, or the third game, second non-conference, was at Oklahoma. Um, And then, yeah, your crossovers are Michigan State, Michigan, uh, and then the third crossover that year is... Uh, Ohio State. Yeah, Ohio State, yeah. Of course. They play Ohio State every year, even though they're not in the same division. Well, and how about Bill Moose pulling the old SEC November bye week <laughs> with uh, Southeastern yeah. Louisiana Great on November job. 13th? I know that was the only... Uh, you're, you're two years ahead, so that's the only uh, opponent yeah. you probably could have gotten to fill that slot, uh, especially because that Illinois game slot was... Uh, late in the schedule, a lot of those um, lower-level group of five teams are booked up that week with conference games or booked up uh, during that time. But I think FCS was probably one of the first places they looked because you don't really – I mean, it's before Wisconsin, right? Yes. Yeah, you don't want to play – Between Iowa and you Wisconsin. You don't want to play a team that can beat you between Iowa and Wisconsin. Yeah. You want to play a team that you can whoop up on, get the second stringers in for almost the entire second half, and get – some mental rest because Iowa and Wisconsin, I don't care what you say about them, they are still going to be good in two years. It's not that far off, and they are still going to be teams, and they will for the rest of time. They are going to be teams that bruise you. That is their identity, and that's what they do best. Those are two tough games to play in November. 
Yeah, and you said you're hot on the Ireland deal. If you want to get me fired up about something, it is the way that the Big Ten just ties a hand behind their back when they're when they're battling with other conferences. The nine conference games, that's a, that's a discussion for another time, but the way the SEC handles scheduling, and they, they essentially encourage their teams to do this with a cupcake in November, right before a big rivalry game, whether they're crossing over with the ACC like so many of them do, or um, if it's an in-conference battle like Alabama-Auburn, all of them do that FCS cupcake in November scheduling deal, and it just... There's nothing wrong with it. Well, let's get into it. It's okay. Let, like, let's like, get into it. SEC, yeah. SEC schools are looking to have the best, the, the best record, the best performances that they can put out there. They play eight conference games, and they have no qualms with doing that. And meanwhile, you have Jim Delaney, who is riding into the sunset here, who has been, oh, well, we're the Big Ten. We're higher and mighty. And, and I, I just don't understand why you would willingly play with one hand tied behind your back against your biggest conference rival, so to speak, um, out there on the landscape. You're, you're not doing your conference teams a service by that. You're doing them a disservice. Well, I, I'm going to go on the other side of this and think and say that the uh, Big Ten, the Big 12, and the Pac-12 are all doing it right with nine conference games because they changed that over because the playoff, um, the playoff criteria was supposed to focus on strength of schedule. That was going to be one of the main playoff criteria. And the ACC and the SEC have still gotten away with going eight games. Mm-hmm. The playoff needs to require teams to play nine conference games. It's better for revenue. It's better for TV. It's better for these teams. Yeah, you're not going to get the cupcake in November. But it, but if you do, take out one of your other cupcakes in September. You don't need to play four non-conference games when only one of those teams is a power five. Mm-hmm. The the way the ACC and the SEC do it is ridiculous, and they're getting away with playing weaker schedules um, because they don't have to get up for conference games week by week by week. Yeah. In the ACC, you don't have to get up for any conference games, but they don't have to get up for conference games week by week by week like the Big Ten, Big 12, and Pac-12 do. I think the Big Ten does it right. I think they have really fallen victim to it, and that's unfortunate. So I'm going to take the other side of that. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with you. I agree that I think everybody should be playing nine conference games, but until that is required for the SEC and the ACC, go back to eight. There's no, like, the Big 12 has to do it so they can play a full round robin. Right. But the Pac-12 and the Big and the Big Ten, they're they're just willingly hurting themselves until mm-hmm. the ACC and the SEC uh, get punished for. It. And I just I just don't see that happening. All right, we got to hit our last break here before our final segment. Matt Reynoldson over there from Channel Eight. I'm Cole Stukenholtz here on the KLI and Husker Hour. One more segment here this morning before we get you back to your bye week Saturday. This is the KLI and Husker Hour on 1400 KLIN. Giving you a complete review of the Huskers news this week. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1400 KLIN. All right, a couple more minutes here on the 1400 KLIN Husker Hour. Back with football next week, but a bye week. So, uh, Matt, you mentioned you got a, a wedding. What are you doing with the rest of your time? Uh, well, the wedding actually starts at 2.30. Yeah. So, um, wedding, cocktail hour, reception. Uh, it's a whole day affair. So, probably going to go home. I, I don't think I'll get that nine holes in this morning like I <laughs> originally thought I would, especially because it kind of wet last yeah. night. But Yeah, yeah well, it's going to be a great day outside. So, for all of you Husker fans out there who aren't going to be watching football 
Um, you've got quite a bit that you can do. You can get some leaves raked. You got some mowing you can get done. Um, I I don't look this this weekend has uh, been long anticipated for me personally. Um, our four kids are with our uh, our our parent our uh, the in laws and and my parents. Um, so they are they are gone. Out of the house. Out of the house. <laughs> Wife and I are going to get some stuff done. Yep. It's going to be great. Um, so, yeah, I'm, and, and the Chiefs don't play tomorrow because they play it on Thursday. Wow. Uh, R&R have, weekend for I you. I have nothing. That, well, I have lots to do, but I have nothing that I have <laughs> to do in terms of uh, in terms of football. So, uh, Matt, thanks a lot for coming in this morning. We appreciate it. Enjoy your, uh, enjoy your red, uh, wedding today and have fun out there. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here anytime. All right. That's the KLI and Husker Hour for this week. We will return. We'll have, a, we'll have a half hour show, a little bit of abbreviated edition before uh, the pregame starts at 9.30 before the 2.30 kickoff for Nebraska and Indiana. Probably got to get that one to get a bowl game, so we will uh, we'll have all that with you. Uh, I'll be back on Friday with the Husker tailgate with Jack and Brendan, and then back here on Saturday again. Go Big Red.